You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey guys, uh, good morning. Great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church, and we're starting a brand new uh, teaching series this morning. But before we get started, I wanted to give you an, uh, some updates. Uh, grand opening season is going to start up September 10th. That's Baptism Sunday as well. We've already got a number of families uh, signed up to do that. But if you haven't yet been baptized, uh, that would be an awesome day for us to celebrate uh, new life in Jesus Christ uh, that Sunday. So you can sign up online. I want to encourage you. We have as well kind of a doctrinal position on baptism. If you want to learn more about it, we'd love to help you do that. You can find that on our website. Contact uh, myself or Pastor Jonathan. We'd love to walk you through that uh, if, if you have any questions about that. So, um, as I promised, I'd be updating you as well on the kind of our uh, campus improvements. You guys were so generous and gave above and beyond your regular giving to help us get uh, campus cleaned up. You saw the new sign as you drove in. Did you see that? Looks pretty good. Yeah, you guys can celebrate that. Uh, we're going to be cleaning up uh, more of the campus and just get the buildings all prepped and ready to go uh, for this a great season of ministry this year. We've got uh, neighborhood groups launching this, uh, this fall. We've got a, a special event, a Bible conference kind of event that's going to be happening in the spring. We've got a lot of really cool things happening this year, and we're excited for a new ministry year. All starts September 10th. I want to encourage you to, to, to pray with us towards that, inviting friends and, and uh, making sure that we get to celebrate uh, a great new season of ministry. All starts September 10th. Um, that's, we'll finish up this four-week series. Uh, this is a a new series that we're going to be uh, getting into this morning in the book of Daniel. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but last announcement on uh, campus improvements. Uh, we asked you guys to, to uh, uh, if you wanted to give towards the playground project. Um, so I got great news. You guys uh, gave uh, significantly. And so we went ahead and ordered this thing. And it's, it's in route right now. So we can celebrate that. Um, so we had several large gifts come in this last week and pledges, and we're excited about that. So I want to encourage you, we're not done yet. Uh, Campus Development Fund is online, and it's also on the envelope. Uh, I want to encourage you not to shift your general giving. Uh, understand that's a special project. And kids, we got a playground coming for you. So we're real excited about that. Yeah. So um, let's do this this morning. I want to just pray and ask God to just continue to bless our time together uh, as we get into this topic and uh, into the scriptures. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at um, living at peace in an anxious world. And, uh, you know, we're going to be looking at the life of Daniel. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and flip it open. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to go. And, uh, you, know, you know, just this morning I opened up the newspaper, read about the war talk between Korea and, and our, our, uh, America. And then I turn around and I see what's going on in the South and the racial tensions that are going on down there. And like, there's no good news in the media a lot of times. Like, you just, you just see all the bad stuff. It doesn't take a lot to, can, to like, uh, get stressed out these days. Like, technology can stress us out. Busyness can stress us out. Uh, just seeing all the, the challenging, tumultuous uh, media can stress you out. And this morning, we're going to ask God for His supernatural peace uh, that comes through the Scriptures and through the Spirit of God to work through this time. Amen? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the peace that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for the truth of your word, the consistency and the timelessness of your word. We pray, God, in, in this time ahead in the scriptures, might you reveal yourself to us right where we're at and then begin to take steps closer into that deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. There are some significant events that can happen in life that cause a lot of stress. Any one of these events could send a normal person into a, a, a mild session of depression. Um, six key events, stressful events in life, the birth of a child, the loss of a loved one, marriage, divorce, moving into a new community, or a major job career change. As soon as I said that, some of you guys are going, I'm going through that right now. Um, a new child's come into your home, and it shifted your, your world a little bit. Um, as soon as Leslie and I found out we were having twins, we kind of like had a heart attack real quick because we were like, oh my gosh, two, we were expecting one. Uh, the birth of a child, the loss of a loved one. Some of you have lost loved ones in your life and it, it reorients things, it changes things. And, and you kind of find yourself and you wonder like, God, where's, where's the peace in the midst of this really hard time? I kind of want to put you at ease and to let, remind you that you're human. And that God offers a supernatural peace in the midst of your hardship, your struggle, your stress, your anxiety. And He calls you to a deeper sense of Himself. He doesn't promise that He's going to bail you out. He promises that He's going to help you out. Did you hear me? He never promised that He's going to bail you out of these situations. But He does promise He's going to help you out. Ministry of the Holy Spirit is called the Helper. He wants to help. My question to you right off the bat is, do you want help from God through whatever you're going through? The answer is yes. For all of you that believe in Jesus Christ and understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He's your helper. This morning as we look at kind of the stressful events, whatever you're going through, God wants to help you get through what you're going through. God wants to help us find peace in the midst of a, of, of a world that we live in. In fact, He says that worries are a waste of time. According to Matthew 6, it says this, there, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Meaning there's enough, enough anxiety that you're going to experience tomorrow. Focus on today. Just take it one step at a time. Jesus continued and said, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A few weeks ago, I was in... Uh, tucking in my little precious Riley Grace. And uh, we were talking about some of the challenges that she was going through. I asked permission if I could share the story. And uh, we're talking about praying to God and seeing God. And sometimes when you're stressed out in life, you kind of feel that maybe God could be distant from you. He doesn't answer your prayers. And so we're having this daddy-daughter talk. And we talked about, you know, God helping my daughter out and speaking to her through the Word and you know, I said to my little girl, I said, Riley, I want to encourage you to just take your problems to the Lord. Just give them to the Lord. As parents, you know, what we try to do is we try to fix everything. But the best thing we can do as a parent is help them rely on the Lord. Riley's 12 years old. She's growing. And so she prays that night, Lord, I need you to show me in your word where to go. We'd been reading through Ruth over the summer. And, uh, and that night she said she felt like the Lord impressed upon her heart to turn to Matthew 6. And it came to this verse, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will have enough, will be anxious for itself. God wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to speak to you through the scriptures. My encouragement to you is be very, very careful in the culture you live in to not get wrapped up in the busyness, the noise, and the crowds of people all the time. Church is a great, great gathering of people, but you can't do this all the time and hear the still small voice of the Lord to help you walk through and navigate through challenging circumstances in life. You need some solitude. You need some connection with God in the scriptures. You need some silence. You need some space to let your soul be at rest. This morning, as we look at the, this issue of anxiety and stress, I want to remind you of the great tragedy and the hardship it has on your body and your life emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Emotionally, anxiety can make you easily agitated, frustrated, or moody. Moms, you feeling this way with the kids in the house over the summertime? I bet you were happy on Monday when they went to school. Dads, how you doing? Work got you stressed out, freaked out? Emotionally, when you are anxious all the time, you become easily agitated, frustrated, moody, overwhelmed, feel a sense of losing control, have difficulty relaxing, you avoid others, you feel nervous. When you're anxious all the time, it's like this fog can set in over your mind and, you're, and you can't even think straight. You know, this feeling of anxiety and stress can also affect you physically. You got low energy, headaches, upset stomach, aches and pains, you're tense. Sometimes you can just see the tenseness of people. They carry it in their shoulders and they're just tense, they're on edge. Stress and anxiety can really wear you out. Jesus says it's not worth it, don't worry about tomorrow, just focus on today. Maybe you're losing sleep, you have trouble sleeping at night. Maybe it might be a good idea before you go to bed every night is to tell the Lord, hey God, I got a lot of worries I'm worried about. It's keeping me up at night. You take my worries. I'm going to bed. You worry about my worry. His shoulders are big enough. He's strong enough. He wants to help you in the middle of what you're going through. You know, when you're stressed out, you can physically, there's a, you can just feel weak and tired all the time. When you're stressed out spiritually, you can struggle in your prayer life, your desire to seek God, your desire to be in church and be involved in a community. You can withdraw easily when you're stressed and you're anxious. Your prayer can become pretty quiet or even painful or reading God's Word. When you're stressed out spiritually, you tend to just always busy yourself. You talk a lot. You think about the, the message and you hear and you come on Sunday and you think, well, that's great, but that's for somebody else. You know, God wants to meet us right where we're at. And I love the honesty and the truthfulness of Scripture. We get a great paradigm and a picture of a gentleman by the name of Daniel this morning who's going to navigate through an incredibly stressful life. He's going to be kidnapped from Jerusalem by a terrible kingdom. And he's going to spend 70 years in exile away from his family. Uh, the scriptures don't tell us, but he never, we, we don't see that he ever has a family. He's never married. His whole life is crazy. 
And somehow he's going to navigate and find peace in the midst of it. I want to kind of set the scene and the context of the life of Daniel, the book of Daniel, as we're going to dive in over the next four weeks. Let's look at the life of Daniel and how he found peace in an anxious world. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Jehoiakim is actually a pretty corrupt king. Unfortunately, he's supposed to be representing Israel and their faith in God. This is some 600 plus years before the time of Christ. And God has called Israel to be a light unto the nations. There's been a season of time where the kingdom uh, was uh, united. And this is the season when it's divided. Corruption is set in. This is the darkest of dark times for Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Jehoiakim should have gotten it right. His dad was Josiah. He was a reformer. He did things right. But Jehoiakim did not. He was actually incredibly corrupt. And Daniel is under his leadership. This is the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, is when this takes place. Some 600 plus years before the time of Christ. And it says... Daniel's going to recall the entire storyline of his life. He is a young Jewish boy, uh, approximately 14 to 15 years old. We don't know a lot about his family, but we do know uh, Jehoiakim was a terrible example. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, there was an invasion The Babylonian Empire invades Judah and takes all of their uh, finest and best and their brightest of Israel, kidnaps many of the youth, uh, sacks the city, takes the treasure, and is going to overthrow uh, Judah. Verse 2, and the Lord gave. When I read that, I thought, what did the Lord do? Look what it says. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. There was a divine consequence. Israel was incredibly unfaithful. They had been warned by the prophets to turn towards the Lord, keep the Sabbath holy, stay distinct, follow the ways of the Lord, and Jehoiakim didn't listen. Many kings were not trusting God's plan and purpose for their nation. They didn't keep the Sabbath. They didn't follow the ways of the Lord. And Daniel looks back with a steadiness and a calmness, a sense of wisdom, a sense of humility, and a keen understanding, I would say, of the sovereignty of God, of how He raises up kings, takes down kings, oversees even the tragic situations for his good. Look what he says. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is Nebuchadnezzar's hand. With some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Daniel would have difficult 
circumstances to say the least. He is going to be kidnapped and now he's leaving his homeland and going to a new home. Verse 3. It says that the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. He is going to take some of the, the best and the brightest back to Babylon. Um, the scriptures don't go into great detail as to what this deportation looked like or this kidnapping would look like. But Daniel is one of these guys. Uh, on Monday, I went to the bus stop and I loaded my children on the bus. And I was excited because we, you know, my, my Monday is my big study day. So the house would be quiet for at least six, seven hours. Some of you were like, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, the kids got on the bus, woo! Uh, but I had a confidence they're coming back. What we're going to see in the scripture is that these kids are kidnapped, they're loaded up on the bus, and they're going to Babylon, and they're not coming back. In fact, Daniel's going to spend 70 years in Babylon. Verse 4, youths without blemish, they're looking for this, these characteristics. They're looking for young people. They took the best and the brightest. They're building a new generation. Without blemish, they were good looking, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And they were to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That is the Babylonian culture, their literature, their science, their mathematics, their history, their religion. Their politics. They would take them and they would actually train them for a period of three years. They not only got a new home, they're going to get a new diet and changing everything about their way of life. It says that the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. We're going to see that they not only receive a new diet on what they're to eat, but they receive a new education. They were to be educated for three years, verse 5, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. There was a three-year period, a training program back in Babylon, where they're going to take their youth. The question is, is why didn't they just kill all the youth? Um, It was probably a power play. Because the people back in Judah might not revolt or resist Nebuchadnezzar's rule if they had their best and their brightest back in Babylon alive. They could hold them, in a sense, as hostage or ransom or just hold them as a power play. But nonetheless, the scripture tells us that there's a massive identity shift. They are trying to uh, re-acculturate this young generation. They give them a new name. As well. In verse 6, it says, Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. It's interesting to me that they use these names 
to shift their identity. It's the meaning behind the names that's a little bit of alarm. The name Daniel literally meant God is my judge. I think that's really cool because what that means is, is Daniel knew even at the core of his identity there was something about him that man was not his judge, God was his judge. That God in, was the ultimate ruler to, to Daniel. But see, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had the names changed and instead of calling him Daniel, he changed it to Belteshazzar, which means like the Bell's Prince. It's a demonic God that he's saying, now you're, you're the prince of this God. His entire identity was shifted. Every time he would hear that name, it would be an insult to him. He would say, that's not my name. My name is Daniel, and it means God is my judge. Yahweh. And Hananiah meant, in the Hebrew, meant beloved of the Lord. Imagine having that name, Hananiah. It means beloved of the Lord. This morning I introduced somebody and I said, man, this is a young guy. I said, hey, God's working in this guy's life. He loves the Lord. And the young guy turned around and said, you know what? The Lord loves me. Hananiah's name meant beloved by the Lord. But Nebuchadnezzar had it changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god. Imagine going to bed every night and that's the name you're going to get. You're illumined by a pagan deity. You're smart because of some pagan deity. And Michel meant, who is as God? There was a reverence that he had. It meant, who is as God? And it was changed to Meshach, meant, it was a mockery. It was, who is like Venus? And Azariah meant, the Lord is my help. He's Jehovah Jireh. Azariah would have had this calling upon his life and understood that the Lord is his helper. He's the provider. But it was changed to Abednego, which meant a servant of Nego, a pagan deity. So they get new names, to say the least. It's not a peaceful time. Uh, Judah is at its worst. There's political corruption both inside the religious community and in the political community. I think it kind of reflects at some level of the state we're in today. We, have, we see corruption, we see tumultuous uh, media reports all the times. And I want to encourage you to notice how the enemy attacks even today. Satan uses similar strategies against believers today wanting to indoctrinate us into a world system that Satan wants us to. He'll give us, a, focus us, and try to help us to become a, have a worldly identity. Not a, 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 a Christian identity, but a worldly identity or a worldly lifestyle or a worldly way of thinking. I think uh, some of the most powerful influence that Nebuchadnezzar had with Daniel was not on the indoctrination, listen to this, not on the indoctrination of education, philosophy, science, and arts, and even the dark arts. I think his most powerful influence that he was pushing upon these guys was the lifestyle change. If the enemy can lower your lifestyle, he can rob you of your joy and your commitment to Christ. The Apostle Paul said this about the world and conforming to the world. Romans 12.2, he says, 
do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. So that means that we're not to conform to the ways of this world, that we need to be careful and not just, uh, we need to remember our biblical identity is a son or a daughter of our heavenly father, that we are exiles in many ways. We are sojourners passing through, that we're not, this world is not just our, we're not just American citizens, we're eternal citizens. We're not just uh, residents or members of a church, we're a member of an an eternal church, a family of God. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Daniel did not conform. He is a nonconformist. This could cost him his life. I want to walk through with you seven characteristics of Daniel's life. The first is that he has an unshakable conviction. Verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The Bible says that Daniel resolved. We don't know how much time was in between uh, when when Ashpenaz brings in the food and says, well, here's what you're going to eat, the king's food. This would have uh, been offensive to Daniel, but uh, we see that the Bible says is that he resolved not to defile himself. It would have at least been uh, not kosher to his, uh, his faith and his practices, but it also would have been uh, maybe with the, the wine, a, a symbol of fellowship with the king. And it's actually, the, the Jewish law didn't prohibit at all uh, wine, but it did it seemed to him, for some reason, he's going to abstain from it because maybe it would send the, the symbol or the sign that he's in fellowship with King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says is that he had an unshakable conviction by this phrase, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. The chief of the eunuchs was asked this question, can I abstain? I, I, I prefer not to do this. And let me go further, Daniel would say, I'm not going to do this. Second thing we're going to learn is that, that Daniel has an uncommon favor. It says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Somehow Ashpenaz has this compassion for Daniel. He thinks, man, this guy's a young, handsome, smart. He stands out, that's for sure. And It says in verse 9 that there's this, again, God gave Daniel. In the midst of his hardship, Daniel is given favor among other people and and compassion. Verse 10, it says, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, it's just Ashpenaz, he says this to Daniel. He heard his request and he says, I fear my lord the king who has assigned your food, and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age so that you would endanger my head with the king? Ashpenaz knew very well that Babylon was bad. The ancient kings were known for their severe and their sadistic 
punishments against anyone who crossed them or didn't listen. Nebuchadnezzar was capable of great cruelty. He murdered the sons of of the king of Judah before the king's eyes, and then he immediately gouged out the eyes of the king. So his last memory would always be the murder of his sons. Other rulers... uh, other rulers in Babylon uh, would literally roast people to death if they didn't follow the rules. So Ashpenaz says here, hey, I don't know if you realize this, Daniel, but you could, I could lose my head over this. Daniel's still given this uncommon favor that there's a compassionate side of Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, but he's not going to budge. He says, I'm I'm not going to do this. The third thing we're going to see is that Daniel has an unhindered persistence. Verse 11. And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. So Daniel says, okay, the chief of the eunuchs, Ashpenaz, is not going to listen. So I'll go to the one that he is appointed to steward. Assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He says this. Test your servants for 10 days and let us be given the vegetables to eat and water to drink. So Daniel asked for an entire new program. And Ashpenaz won't listen, but he's going to go to this guy and ask. Daniel has an unhindered persistence. In the Christian faith, you need to have an unhindered persistence. What discourages you and keeps you from persisting in your faith when you face hard times? I think it's it can be understanding when you have a bad day, you need to think about it different. We tend to say the way we view things in our Christian life is we say there's good days and bad days. Well, for Daniel, if you thought about it, every day was a bad day. He doesn't get his mom, his dad. He doesn't have his Jewish historical faith uh, that's accepted It's rejected. His life is on the line by seeking to just simply live out his faith values. And for Daniel, bad days are every day. I don't know what kind of day you're going through. Good day, bad day. I'd encourage you to think about it like this, that every day is a day of grace. For Daniel, he saw that every day there was something that God was doing. Daniel is reflecting back over the period of his life and talking about how God's going to give favor and compassion. He's going to turn around and talk about how God gave him wisdom and insight. We tend to think days and good days and bad days, but I'd encourage you to think about it as days of grace because even in the bad times, God is still good. The sun rises, the sun sets. As long as you've got uh, air in your lungs, that's something to be thankful for. Daniel had an unhindered persistence. And he says, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. This reveals his, number four, his unblemished faith. Verse 13 says, And let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. In other words, he says, I'm putting it on the line. He has a faith and a confidence. He has hope. Not a a feeling of hope and like it's just an emotional thing, but he has a divine sense of real life, actual hope and faith that God is good no matter what happens. That God is going to be at work. He sees all this, even 
the tyrant king Nebuchadnezzar is God's divine plan in the midst of a terrible time. Daniel understands this. He understands that God never promised to bail him out, but he does promise always to help him out. We need to shift of our thinking when it comes to stress, anxiety, hard times, hardships, tough times, is that God, you can't get mad at God and say, well, I'm mad at you because you didn't bail me out. In prayer, we tend to want resolution. When we pray and we say to God, I want you to do this for me. I need you to resolve this issue. You know what? God doesn't promise to do that. Do you know what God wants in prayer? He wants a relationship. We want resolution. God wants relationship. I like Daniel's storyline because it actually echoes and amplifies the story and the message of Jesus Christ who entered into a corrupt world and divinely walked in obedience and faith. And Daniel is a foreshadowing too of the Messiah. Daniel had an unhindered persistence. He didn't see it as just good days or bad days. I think he understood days of grace. He understood the sovereignty of God that in every situation, God's going to work something for good. You just got to look for it. We get so discouraged and so anxious because we, we forget to look for the good even in the bad day. But every day is a day of God's grace. He has an unblemished faith. And he says, deal with your servants according to what you see. This is an unusual test. Verse 14. So, He listened, the steward listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. They didn't eat a bunch of Twinkies, they were eating vegetables. And that word fatter literally means healthier. They didn't lose weight, they didn't get skinny and scrawny. Then all the other youths who ate the king's food, verse 16... So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Kind of thought about, well, well, who got, I mean, very likely the king's food was good. It would have been steak and wine and abundance of great food. And here Daniel is going to get vegetables. Maybe the steward was happy because he could get the leftovers of what, you know, what Daniel refused. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This isn't a a biblical paradigm for living a vegan lifestyle. It is a a commitment. Uh, The food would have been offensive to Daniel too because it was sacrificed to idols, to pagan deities. Daniel has an unmeasurable blessing upon his life. Again, I think in his reflection, he's highlighting the sovereignty of God. Look at this. In verse 17, and as for these youths, look, let's say that together. God gave. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. He'll serve as the prime minister in Babylon. He'll watch kings come, kings go. He will serve over a period of about seven decades in Babylon. Uh, I'm sure there were times in his life where he's praying, God, if there's some way you can help me to escape this, I'd love to escape this. I'd like to get back to Judah. But God doesn't, he doesn't get bailed out. But he does get helped out all the way through. Jesus prayed the same kind of prayer uh, when he says, Lord, if there's some other way that I don't have to go 
to the cross. I'd like to do that, but not my will be done, your will be done. God promises to help us out. He doesn't, always, he doesn't promise to bail us out. There's a blessing. Daniel's given learning skill, wisdom. What's going to characterize Daniel's life is a sense of hope, a sense of wisdom, a sense of humility. Verse 18 says, And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief, the eunuchs, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. That means they, they served in the king's court. Daniel had undoubtedly an unlimited influence. Verse 20 says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, look what it says, ten times better. Daniel had an unshakable conviction that he felt God's ways were better than man's ways. He believed that God would help him out. And the Bible testifies, scriptures testify, God gives him the wisdom. God gives him favor. God gives him compassion. But notice in the, in the storyline of Daniel, God never delivered Daniel from Babylon over a period of 70 years. He's going to go through every trial, every hardship, and in the midst of it, God offers an incredible relationship to trust him all along the way. Where are you at? What trial are you facing? God will give you influence and help you out, but He never promised to bail you out. Let's look back at verse 20 and 21 in closing. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the queen and king inquired of them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians, the enchanters that were in all His kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's a long time. It's about 70 years. Some of you are at a point where your prayer life is stale. Your faith in God is in question. You are not at peace. You have so much anxiety and stress. It's affecting you either emotionally, uh, physically, or spiritually. And the good news I have for you today is that I want to encourage you uh, to hand that over to God. When you go to bed at night, maybe think about it like this. Because if you're staying up at night because you're anxious or worried about something, maybe make, make a deal with God and just say this to Him. God, I want to give you my worries tonight. I'd like to go to bed really good. And you say don't worry about today because today has enough worries of its own and just take it step by step. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. You need rest. Some of you are fatigued. You're running on empty. And here's a, here's a man, Daniel, who somehow navigates through. And I think we'd be wise to realize that this is looking back over a long season of his life. And so he's writing with a, a great wisdom. But God offers peace in the midst of a hard time. God promises that he'll help you out. He never promised he'd bail you out. And some of you today, you need peace. Uh, we're going to have a time to offer up in this uh, worship time today where if you just need more peace in your life and you just ask, you want to ask for help, we're going to have a prayer team lined up over here. 
and just invite you during our worship time to just stand up, need prayer for your marriage, prayer, prayer for your work, prayer for your personal life, to just be prayed for, be encouraged. Some of you are not at peace because you don't know the Prince of Peace, Jesus. God made a deal. He said, if you receive my son, Jesus Christ, I'll give you an eternal peace. So today, before closing, I want to invite anybody who wants to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to receive Him today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank You for today. I thank You for Your peace. You say in Your Word, do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition. So we come to You right now, Lord, and we pray to hand over whatever we're carrying, whatever burden we have. Lord, and I thank You for those that You've drawn here to Yourself and they need to realize today that they are ready to start a relationship with You and receive You as their Lord and Savior. So if that's You, would You pray with me silently? Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I believe in Your Son Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I confess Him today as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Hey, if you prayed that simple prayer, the Bible says is that you've been adopted into God's family. He's been working on you way before you ever got here. And you're a new uh, son or a daughter of the great King of Heaven. And uh, I want to just encourage you to let us know. You can do that on the Connect card or tell one of our prayer team persons, hey, today I, I prayed that. But maybe you want some extra prayer. For the rest of us, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And, uh, and this is for everybody that's received Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember the great Prince of Peace who gave his life on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins. The cups are going to come around and in one cup is the bread and it represents the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. And then the other cup is the juice and it represents the blood of Christ that was spilled on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to atone for your sins. Jesus paid it all. And in that, you can remember through this time for every single one of us that we can experience peace in the midst of any hardship. God never promised to bail you out of all your trouble, but He did promise that He'd help you out all along the way. He offers relationship. When we want resolution, He offers relationship. Lean in to the relationship that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.